Welcome to the Retirement Risk Show, the best retirement interviews and advice with Dave Hall. Learn strategies to help you reduce and even eliminate the risks facing your retirement. Hello, my name is Dave Hall. Welcome to the show. As always, I am so excited to be here each week talking about that longest self-imposed period of unemployment most of you will have in your lifetime. Could be 10 years, could be 20. Heck, it might even be 30 or 40. It is what we call retirement. If you would like to learn more about how you can get safely through this period of your life, please go to my website, retirementriskadvisors.com. Here we've got access to all of our tools, our webinars, all the other information that you can use to address the various risks that are sure to come as we try to figure out those retirement years. Today, I thought it would be fun that we talked a little bit about budgeting, something we don't often cover here on the show, but such a critical part to helping us get safely through retirement. There's so many things that we can do with the money we have and make sure we're doing it responsible. To help me today, I brought in with me Shung. She is an expert in helping people not only deal with their budgets, but also deal with the emotions and the mental challenges that often people have around money. You can find her through her website at SaveMySense.com. She's also on Instagram at SaveMySense. Shung, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dave, for having me. Sean, I've read part of your story. I've not been able to get it all. Uh, very excited to hear from myself and the listeners. If you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit, got you in the space of helping people budget, some of the struggles you went through, and then we're going to talk about some good ideas people can use to help them better manage the money they have. Yeah, absolutely. My name is Sean. I live in sunny Southern California with my husband, my toddler kid, and another kid on the way as of the time of this podcast. And my husband and I, we were able to save and invest our money and become work optional by the time that I was age 31. I'm 37 now. Uh, What that basically means is that if we were to live off of the base of our assets and the asset growth for the rest of our lives, we could. And the process to getting there started young. We're both frugal and mindful with our money. We both understood the importance of living on less than we earned throughout our years. We never took on any kind of consumer credit card debt. We have had mortgages and we have had student loans, but we're very diligent about paying those off. But the light bulb moment truly happened when we got married. And my husband said, what if we could exit the two income trap, because we both agree we wanted children in the future, but we also understood how difficult it can be to provide childcare or pay for childcare as working professionals. And he put out the idea of if we had the discipline to learn to live off of the lower of our two incomes for the rest of our lives, so basically putting a cap on our lifestyle, then we would never be in fear of either of us losing a job or paring back on our career to become parents. And from that process, that thinking, we lowered our expenses, saved and invested as much as we could and reached an asset base that allowed us to be work optional. And that is what I teach about today. I teach people about the mental process behind getting frugal and really controlling your spending. Were you and your husband on the same page from day one? It sounds like maybe you were, but uh, usually you have a spender, you have a saver. What did that look like for you guys? Relative to our friends, you might say that on the surface, both of us look like savers, but I'm actually the spender in the relationship. And that's likely because 
I just grew up with more friends who loved shopping and <laughs> going to fancy restaurants, taking nice vacations. So mentally, it was much harder for me to lower my expenses. We were trying to hit that fifty percent pre-tax saving rate. And even though I was rational, I was analytic, I knew the numbers I needed to hit. It was hard to pare back my expenses, and that's when I realized that this budgeting, budgeting, and being frugal, and really committing yourself to a financial goal goes far beyond numbers. It's not a numbers game; it's a mental game. I can't agree with you more. It's interesting as I go through the process I do in the chair I sit in from educating CPAs and dealing with thousands of those who educate other people on finance and deal with money all the time to realize how mental it is. Because what you're doing here, I was looking at some statistics last night. Average person your age, you know, especially during the initial years you were saving, probably should have only needed to save about 12% to get where they needed to be for retirement. Here you guys are putting 50% away and sometimes probably more with what you were doing from that side. Do you consider yourself part of the FIRE community? I know that's a term that's used by a lot of people out there. Or How do you look at that? I would say the answer is partially yes, because we used every technique that the FIRE community promotes, which is being frugal, lowering your expenses, being a little extreme in, in some cases, and trying to get to that you know ideal FIRE number, which is where... 4% of your asset base is equal to your annual expenses. But I tried the retiring early lifestyle for a year. With my first child, I actually took a very generous, unpaid one-year maternity leave of my own volition. And I realized I kind of like working too. It does great things for my mental health. And so now I'm in a less intense role than I had before. So I'm still working mother my husband still works. So we're not retired, which is why the FIRE acronym, the RE part being retired early, doesn't apply to us because we're still working. So that's why I like to say that we're more work optional. And it's interesting to see this concept because it's something we teach a little bit about, not a lot. Average person we're working with, probably a 50 year older. But as we look at the FIRE community, I've always had a problem with the acronyms because so many people really aren't retired in the sense of what we would call retirement. They're not necessarily stopping working. It's yeah. just giving them the freedom uh, of being able to do what they want. And I guess really, in theory, that's what retirement should be if we took a definition and say, hey, we've now got the opportunity to do all the things we could never do or all the things we wanted to that we couldn't before. Obviously, in this journey, I'd like to talk a little bit about more about yourself, and then we'll get into some strategies to help others. But you had to give up a lot of stuff. What was the biggest thing you had to give up? And is it it really been that big of a problem for you as you've tried to adapt to a different lifestyle? Yeah. Keep in mind that when I was paring down my expenses, I lived in two of the most expensive metropolitan areas in the United States. I started out in San Francisco right after I got my MBA. And then I moved to New York City to be with my husband once we got married. Both cities promote very high spending, New York, especially conspicuous consumption is a huge deal. You're judged on what you're wearing, what bag you're carrying, who you know, etc. The hardest part for me to pare back in New York is probably the eating out because it is one of the food capitals of the world. And when I was trying to do it and I was struggling with it, I realized that I equated eating out and eating out at good restaurants as quality time with my friends. Like I, at that time, I was not able to separate the two concepts. I automatically, whenever a friend said, hey, let's hang out, 
I thought we need to go eat out at a good restaurant. And once I realized that that was actually my incorrect approach and that ultimately what I craved wasn't necessarily good food, I just craved quality time with my friend. Then I started getting more creative. I was like, what could I do in an hour with a friend? We could go take a walk in a park. We could go to a museum and uh, many museums in New York are free for New York City residents. We could go to a networking event together or we could grab breakfast. Breakfast costs a lot less than dinner and sometimes it works a lot better for a busy New Yorker schedule. And over time, I realized that we all spend to some extent, but ultimately there are core basic psychological needs that we're really looking to fulfill. Security, love, companionship, stability, all of that. And you don't have to spend a lot to fulfill those psychological needs, but you do need to fulfill them. So I looked at every part of my life, every category. I was like, what's my true psychological need? And what's the least I have to spend to meet that need? And then I just cut all the extra. So I went through housing, I went through food, I went through travel, my clothing, discretionary spending, all of that. And then I applied the same technique. And that was the clicking moment that allowed me to finally reach the aspirational 50% saving rate. How did it impact your friendships? You talk about going out to dinner with these people, and we see it all the time with those we work with. Many times we've got people, again, in their 50s, 60s, they've got the time to go out. They're used to going out and having dinner and doing these things. How did your friends accept this change? Because that is one of the worries that we often see. If I cut my spending down, my friends or family may look at me different than they did before. Absolutely. And uh, especially my friends at the time, I graduated from two really great schools, Harvard undergrad, University of Chicago, MBA. I have friends making way more than I did at the time. And I was really afraid that people would drop me for looking cheap. But I also would say and argue that this process allowed me to truly identify who my real friends are. A real friend would be happy to come over to my house for a home-cooked spaghetti and meatball meal. Like that was one of my very basic meals that I learned to make at the time as I offered to make spaghetti meatballs. A real friend would be happy to do a phone call or a walk in the park and not turn her nose up at the fact that I'm not going to go out to a $100 meal with them. And so I would say my friendship base did take a bit of a drastic shift during that period. And it was hard. But from that period onwards, I've loved every friendship I've had because they're so genuine and they're truly about us as friends and great personalities hanging out together, having shared values rather than, oh, yeah, we're rich and we could go do fun stuff. I appreciate what you're saying there. Early in my career, I had worked away from our house for a long period of time, meaning I'd go out to eat every day because I was in an area where I took lunch sometimes, but usually we're going to restaurants, uh, meeting with clients, doing that type of thing. Well, then we moved our house close to my office. And so the first day I was talking to my wife in the morning, she goes, are are you coming home for lunch? I'm like, yeah, I guess so. Well, what are we having? Thinking that for some odd reason, we're going to have this elaborate lunch. We had three young kids at the time. She's like, Uh, We're having corn dogs today. (laughs) And it was a real eye-opener for me to say, wait, I'm going from these nice lunches to corn dogs. But uh, to your point, we ended up bringing our whole office over and having corn dogs at my house one day. And it just opened up really who I was as a person and realizing I've got all these kids and this is who I am. And since that time, 
really tried to focus on that. And I think it's such a key point to those out there that are concerned. Yeah, you may lose some friends. Yeah, they, they may not do what you want them to do, but were they really your friends if uh, money was all that was tying you to together? Yeah. That's amazing that you invited a whole office over for corn dogs. I love it. Yeah, it was hilarious. Uh, something I never expected, but uh, from there we did uh, those type of events quite often, and it just made it so much fun. I, even though we were typically doing other things, it was just so much fun to be able to do that. And something else I always held to was if we had events that interfered with family gatherings and stuff I had, I just wouldn't go. And at first it was hard, but Pretty soon people realized, well, Dave's not going to be there. Let's put it on a different date. Let's schedule it uh, different because we want him to join us. And I think this is where this comes. More than 50% of CPAs will run out of money in retirement. And this number is projected to grow because of risks like inflation, increased longevity, and rising healthcare costs. Retirement Risks Advisors has the perfect solution to help CPAs make their money last as long as they do. Learn more by signing up for our flagship webinar, Getting Safely Through Retirement. In this webinar, we share the top 10 financial risks CPAs will face in retirement and what can be done to reduce or eliminate each risk. To get started, visit retirementriskadvisors.com slash safe. We have many people, as I mentioned, that are approaching retirement. Many of them uh, haven't saved like they should. They've maybe got even 10 years, uh, really, that they've got to put everything together. Obviously, there's saving side, but there's this how do we trim our budget back? Are there some main things that you could point out that you can really, that people can really make a difference if they'll start analyzing, realizing we're wasting a lot of money here that we probably shouldn't be? First, I think you have to get into the right mindset around money because the later that you go in life, the more likely it is that you will beat yourself up or be full of regrets over, oh, why didn't I do this early? Especially, I recognize I'm you know, a 30-something-year-old and my, I might be talking to people who are addressing 50, 60-year-olds. So they're like, yeah, of course. Well, Shang is all set. She's young and she already did all the stuff, but I didn't. So first, know that having regret is a very unproductive emotion. It's not going to get you anywhere good. I always start with the mindset of let's love yourself towards your goal. You do want to retire. You want to retire with dignity. Think of that future you, the retirement you. You want that person to be clothed, to be housed, to have access to health care, to live a dignified life. And so what are you willing to do today to feed and love that future retirement you? And that really helps us align our values, our priorities wholeheartedly towards us. And then I say, look at two things. Look at your receipts and look at your calendar. Your wallet of receipts, as well as the entries on your calendar, should reflect your values and your priorities. And so take a really hard look and say, where am I wasting my time? Where am I wasting my money on things that I don't really care about? Those are the first places I would cut. And it could be anything for anyone because it could be different things for different people. But I really promote the idea of spending according to your values system. Because when your values are aligned with your spending or your saving, that you don't feel like you're trying to live somebody else's life. That's so important. I've seen that so many times in my own life. I'm very conservative. I've got a lot of kids, so things can get expensive very quickly. And I find that all the time, that there's things, especially with inflation being where it is, things I just won't buy anymore. It's like I'm not willing to pay that amount of money for that product anymore. And my kids sometimes aren't very happy about that, but it's something that we choose to do because it does fit into my value system. Yes. Same thing. For example, for me, I realized 
I worked in very strategic, very executive-facing roles, but I'm not willing to spend thousands of dollars on a handbag. I'm not willing to buy a $2,000 Burberry coat, but it seemed like that was what all my peers were wearing. So then I thought, what is it that I truly loved about my appearance? Because I do like fashion. I said, I like to look professional. I like to look put together. I don't want to look like I came off the streets. But you can achieve that without spending thousands on brand name items. And in fact, for me, it was quality over brand. And I also made it a game. I went to consignment stores. I shopped used on eBay and Poshmark. I got last year's fashions for really great prices. I mean, 75, 80% off retail. And they still look great because I kept a very classic professional style. So I still fit in into these high-powered environments, but I spend a lot less than most people on my professional wardrobe. That's so awesome. I had one of my clients that had worked a professional job for decades. He retired and he shows up to my office in a pair of shorts and a t-shirt, which I'm cool with. I have no problem with people coming like that. So what's the best part about retirement? He says, the only difference between what I wear during the day and what I wear at night is a pair of shoes. So I'm not quite <laughs> sure we, we get that relaxed, but very interesting to see for him. It was, uh, look, I'm just not spending money on clothes anymore. I go golfing and do these other things. I, I spend time with my boys, but it's definitely changed. I know one of the big areas that a lot of people spend a lot of money on is food. I spend a ton with the kids that I have. And especially if we go out to eat, it can cost us a substantial amount when you're paying for six, seven, eight, ten 10 people. What are some thoughts you have in helping people, especially now inflation's going up on that product so much, can help us save some money there? Yeah. During my most frugal years, I basically cooked almost all of my meals at home. And I had a high-low strategy. I said, at home, I'm going to eat very simply, but I'm going to cover all of my nutrient needs. And then I'll reserve some money in my budget to go out on the weekends. At that time, I think maybe we ate out twice, uh, twice a month. And we had a ceiling on how high an entree price we're willing to accept. So my husband and I often took the initiative of picking the restaurant so that we could control the costs when we go out with other people. So we're always the ones say, oh, we found this really cool hole in a wall place, cheap stuff, but it's delicious. When at home, and I had the benefit of working with a fitness trainer who taught me how to count my macros and things like that. So I knew how much I needed in terms of nutrients from each. A couple of things that I think still apply today to the average American, assuming you don't have, you know, specific health needs for, uh, for your food is one, look at where you're buying liquids. If you can pare down your liquids to just drinking tap water or filtered water, and you cut out purchasing coffees, teas, juices, sodas, coconut water, alcohol, that saves you a lot of money because transporting heavy liquids is part of the reason why liquids are so expensive around the country. Next piece that I would cut down is going from fresh to frozen. So plenty of vegetables, fruits, meats, fish are actually shipped frozen. People don't know this. And if they are sold frozen, Veggies and fruits in particular are often frozen at their peak freshness. So you're actually getting the best of their nutrients. People have a texture thing against frozen food, but I often argue it's nutritionally better and it's half the price usually. Then I would move to simplicity in your meals. I find so many people who when they first start cooking, they're like, oh gosh, uh, do you have a recipe book for cooking cheaply? I'm like, no, I just build my meals in three ways starch base, a veggie, and a protein. 
So I batch cook my proteins and I batch cook my veggies and starches and I divide them into portions. I'll freeze some of them and then I'll leave the remainder out and then I vary things up with sauces and flavorings. And so it's not a recipe-based system. It's more of a building block-based system. And so then you don't have to think about cooking to a specific recipe. You don't have to buy 20 spices to make your food so great. You don't have to prepare sauces and things like that. Makes it really easy. And then finally, I love, especially in the winter months, soups. Soups are a great way to put in scraps, veggie scraps, random leftovers. You put it all in and make sure you have some broth as a base. You heat it up and it's filling. It's delicious and it's very low cost and helps you clear your fridge. So even just following some of those tips can probably help you drastically lower your grocery bill. Absolutely. And such great information. As I look at our grocery bill, obviously very large, and my wife's done a great job of managing those bills. But again, there's times that you just overspend. There's times that we throw a lot of stuff away. And that's probably another area that look at what you're throwing out. If you're buying too much, for me, it's been an adjustment. As kids move out of the house, you're used to feeding a whole army. And now all of a sudden, it's like, wait, there's only four or six of us here. We don't need near as much (laughs) food as we used to have. And especially as boys get out of the house through those teenage years where they can be, eat so much. One of the other big problems we have right now that uh, I'd like to talk about as we wrap things up here is debt. We've got people going into debt more. We had a period where during the pandemic they were saving. Now it's flipped because of inflation and what's going on in the world. Any recommendations to help people get their debt load down uh, as they're trying to solve it, especially those going into retirement? One of the things we promote very heavily is you don't want debt in retirement. You make bad decisions. You make bad choices because you got to figure out how you're going to cover the cost of that. And what I've noticed for people who have held on to debt for a very long time, could be credit card debt, could be debt related to medical costs. I have seen people hold student loans into their 50s. It's no longer an issue of your income or your expenses. It's actually a mental issue. I've often found that people who really cycle in and out of debt and can never really get out of debt, that there's some kind of psychological or trauma component behind it. It could be that they never healed their inner child. It could be that you never knew how to learn how to move away from the scarcity mindset to a growth or abundance-oriented mindset. I've also seen people really elevate their spending after a traumatic experience, which could include a divorce or a separation of a really close relationship, death of a loved one, that's a very common one, being in extremely, extremely stressful careers or jobs, even chronic illnesses and depression. And what all of this trauma, all of this this psychology, why I emphasize mental health so much is when your mental health is not great, keep in mind that your brain is one of the most important organs of your body, possibly the most important one aside from the heart, they kind of work together. But your mind is so powerful and what it believes, what you tell your mind manifests into real life. If we keep telling ourselves that we are successful, you're more likely to put yourself on the path to success. But if you keep telling yourself that you're a failure, that you suck, that you're really terrible at doing things, then you're probably going to make choices that are less than optimal. And I found that when people's minds are not healthy, that unhealthy mind, even if it's just a slight bout of depression or anxiety, an unhealthy mind cannot physically make good long-term strategic decisions. 
you revert back into more of a fight or flight mode. And you tend to just make decisions based on what's in front of you. And you don't do long range planning. And so if you still have debt to this day, I would say, let's take a look at your mental health and let's address your mental health. You might have to pay a little bit for counseling or for medicine to treat that. But once you treat that, then we can start cutting back on the debt once and for all because we solved the underlying issue that's still keeping you in debt. I saw this early in my career. I was doing some accounting work for a very recognized professional athlete. And uh, we were trying to keep him on a budget. Now he's made enough money uh, since the time we're doing his accounting, doesn't have to worry about it so much, but it wasn't guaranteed that would be the case. And so we're saying, look, you've got to not spend uh, after these sporting events because we don't know how long the money's going to last. And we thought we had him on a good path. All of a sudden, uh, a sporting event happens. He ends up spending about $100,000 on jewelry that night and comes in the next day. And I've got all of his bank records. And I'm like, what happened? I thought we were <laughs> controlling this. He says, look, I, I'm so depressed when I go through this process. This is how I feel good. Mm. And, and it just showed me in my early career that our emotions and, and all those things we go through mentally have a huge impact at leading to bad decisions, can also lead to some very good decisions. So I really appreciate that information. Sean, our time is gone. I want you to give our listeners some information, how they can connect with you, services that you offer so they can take advantage of your knowledge and your experience. Thank you, Dave. I primarily do private coaching where I help people think through their mental blocks and get on the road to saving money and saving for retirement. I also offer courses in mindset shifting, going from the scarcity mindset to the abundance mindset. And I also teach some courses on retirement. Since there's so much that I offer, I would primarily recommend that you visit me in one of two ways. Instagram is where I'm most active. I'm on Instagram under the username Save My Sense, all one word, S at the end. Or you can find me on my website, savemysense.com. I'm a real human being. You can find me on either of these two platforms. Contact me and I'll be in touch with you. Sean, thank you so much. Thank you, Dave. Listeners, you've been listening to the Retirement Risk Show. If you do need help getting safely through to retirement, go to my website, retirementriskadvisors.com. Or if you'd like some help figuring out uh, some emotional issues around money and your spending and looking at your budget, contact Shung. You can contact her there at her website, savemysense.com, or there on Instagram as well. Look forward to seeing you each next week where we'll have another guest talking about how you can get safely through retirement. And that's today's episode. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to wherever you get your podcast. We come out with a new episode every Friday morning and you don't want to miss it. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That would really help us out. The Retirement Risk Show is a production of the Retirement Risk Advisors. Our show was produced by C.R. Talin and Autumn Koenig. If you're a CPA looking for more retirement education, visit retirementriskadvisors.com.